0: Hey, you guys, welcome to my podcast. My name is Kat and I'm a PA and content creator obsessed with connecting with like-minded people about all things PA, adulting, and everything in between. On this podcast, we'll talk about tools to find success in your career and how to cultivate joy in your everyday. I'm so excited to have you here along for the ride. So let's freaking do this. What are you waiting on? Uh, Oh, wait, they weren't supposed to know you were here yet. (laughs) Good morning and happy Monday, fam. You may have seen the title of this episode, and I'll just start by answering the question posed. No one is better. We are all integral parts of the healthcare team. I say this jokingly because if you've been following me on Instagram or TikTok, you may have seen some major hate my way from some trolls about PAs needing to essentially stay in their own lane and not be qualified to use a stethoscope, but that's just the short version. Thankfully, I've only experienced this toxicity online and never in practice, and hopefully you've had the same productive and team-based experience in person And if you don't, that's toxic. Get out. But okay, back to this episode, which I'm so, so excited about because today we actually have a really freaking awesome guest with us to have this conversation about the differences between doctors and physician assistants and like what it takes to get to these careers, the education, the training, and just some interesting conversation at the end about how we personally view each other's roles. So you're in for a good one. So grab a seat, grab a coffee, and let's get to it. Drum roll please. <laughs> Sorry that was so lame. Since our empty guests is with us embarrassing. aren't embarrassing. Oh my gosh, don't give your don't give your identity away quite yet. Since our MD guest is with us our entire episode today, I'll start with a little introduction. You guys probably have heard of him before if you've been following me, but a little background. He's a second year orthopedic surgery resident here in Kansas City. He has a drop dead, gorgeous, and like hilarious wife. You guys got to meet her. And he is the sugar baby of his relationship. Everyone, drum roll again, please. Meet Christopher Bernard, MD, otherwise known as Nard, otherwise known as my. Husband,
1: woo! Happy to be here. Uh, thank you, thank you for having me be on as your first guest of the of the podcast. <laughs>
0: thank you so much. That really means a lot to me. <laughs> okay, Chris, I'm so excited that you're here. I am just. I'm really pumped for this conversation because I do most of the talking in our relationship and I think the people need to hear from you <laughs> and we're going to talk about the nitty gritty um, about how we got to where we are today. I'm a PA here in an MD and hopefully this will help some people to still deciding which path they want to go on or if you're already on one of these paths just kind of understanding our backgrounds and how we got to where we are and I'm really excited for the personal conversation we're going to have at the end kind of talking about topics we've never really discussed. So I'm just curious what your opinion is going to be but let's dive before we dive into this conversation though we do want to be transparent that we will be focusing primarily on pas and mds today we so highly value our peers who are nurse practitioners and do's but we would be lying obviously if we told you we understood the path to their career like we do our own, right? So these careers are just absolutely amazing, and we don't want to make anyone feel left out. So when we discuss these a little bit here, just know we're going based on our own research and peer feedback. But it would be really awesome if we could get some NPs and DOs on here in the future to really break it down for us. Okay, Chris, let's talk about the differences between these two careers. For the record, Chris and I are both very competitive people, so I just want to put this out there that PA, physician assistant, is the number one job right now, if you go according to what? U.S. News, is that what they say? And doctor is number five, and surgeon is number what, Chris?
1: I think that's a generic uh, surgeon. <laughs> what num- What's the number? Specific- I, th- I don't think that's specific. <laughs> Specific what's the to number? An orthopedic surgeon. I'd be really curious if they broke this down further. Sure, um, but, the but what's uh, the number? Subspecialties.
0: Uh, it's number forty-two. But I was gonna say that every experience is so individual, right? Like you're talking about how great orthopedics is. You definitely don't believe it's number forty-two. So these ratings just mean nothing. They mean shit. So don't look too much into this when deciding on your future. Okay, it is very obvious what a doctor does in our society, but for those of you who don't know, a physician assistant is technically a type of mid-level provider, sometimes referred to as an advanced practice provider or clinician, alongside nurse practitioners. They work with their collaborating, supervising physician, and diagnose illness, develop and manage treatment plans, and prescribe medication. A PA is not a physician's assistant and is not a medical assistant. It sounds like the name is going to change back to physician associate, which was the original name, but we'll chat about that another time. But I just wanted to give that official definition. Okay, let's dive into the requirements and education of each of these career paths. Again, we are just focusing on MD and PA. So I will go first to talk about PA since uh, I'm the one talking, right, Chris? Go for it. (laughs) Thank you. Well, the courses required to become a PA. So basically, the basic requirements prior to becoming a PA is obtaining a four-year bachelor's degree. This can be, like, legit in anything, people. You you could do it in Chinese, you could do it in English, you could do it in whatever you want, dance, but you have to complete your main prerequisites, including anatomy and physiology, biology and chemistry, and usually will include some sort of psychology, biochemistry, microbiology, and sometimes genetics. Um, There are like specific school requirements, so I definitely check out each program's requirements early on. There's even some direct entry programs from high school if you know your goal is to become a PA. Like you could get your bachelor's to master's straight out of high school. All right, Chris, tell us a little bit about what is required before going to med school.
1: So going to medical school is also going to require a four-year bachelor's degree. Um, and Similar to PA school, you can also get this in any uh, degree that you want. Uh, but there are several prerequisite courses uh, that are generally required uh, before applying to a medical school, including biology, uh, general and organic chemistry, physics, Ew. biochemistry, psychology, genetics, uh, and sometimes English. So a lot of the same courses, uh, plus physics uh, compared to uh, PA school, but then typically anatomy and physiology, um, interestingly, are not uh, generally required uh, for applying to medical school.
0: That's really interesting, like you said, and I'm just curious like what do you think about anatomy and physiology being omitted from the prerequisite list for med school? Like do you feel like that's important? Do you feel like that's a really awesome thing that PA pre-PA students have to do? Do you wish pre-med students had to do it? Tell us what you think
1: So I, I guess I, I can see kind of both both sides of it. Um, you know anatomy and physiology is kind of the, the foundation of medicine. And so I, I see sometimes from a medical school per- perspective that they kind of want to train you and teach you um, in their own manner exactly what they want you to know in terms of the anatomy and physiology. However, I do feel like there is likely a, a significant benefit um, if you've had some sort of background in these courses prior to uh, attending medical school, because um, if without having uh, kind of any of that, any knowledge, um, it really can potentially feel like drinking uh, water out of a, a fire hydrant. <laughs> we hear that often uh, in
0: PA school. <laughs>
1: yeah, which is something that, you know, is certainly said a lot. There's just so much information out there nowadays um, and so much knowledge to, to um, try to attain that I think without having some sort of background um, in these courses uh, it can, can make it more challenging uh, throughout medical school. However, right. you know, I think it, it's one of those things where, you know, they're trying to allow people from all different backgrounds and all different... Uh, degrees you know have an opportunity to apply to medical school so I think if you try to make uh, there be too many requirements uh, for before applying to medical school then essentially you're just getting kind of your biology and chemistry uh, majors that are end up applying into medical school instead of having kind of more diverse uh, group of students
0: right because you're already taking all your elective options to fill those if you're not a bio or chemistry or like some sort of major science, going into getting your bachelor's degree. So you're already, your electives are just like squashed with all these pre-med, you know, requirements. I will say, I I think what I found helpful about anatomy and physiology was the terminology. Like it made it so much easier to have to do anatomy and physiology again in PA school, having already seen a lot of the language. Um, So I definitely think medical terminology is something that is important. And for our PA school, we actually had to do that before we even matriculated on our first day. Um, obviously, like, the school, you know, had us set up with something, but I think med- medical terminology is super helpful.
1: For sure. I mean, I think, I think medicine in general is a whole kind of different language relative to kind of what most of us uh, have experienced kind of throughout college and everything. Um, so having, having any experience you can prior to uh, medical school, I think, or PA school would only be beneficial.
0: Well, thank you, Chris, for your feedback. Okay, now that we've kind of got the prerequisite courses out of the way, let's kind of talk about what type of other experiences are required for applying to PA school and medical school. So, we'll go back to PA right now. Patient care experiences. This is so so important and this is the one thing that's so different between the two tracks, right? PA school requires both patient care and healthcare experience. I know you're saying, "Kat, these are the same exact things." They are not. To keep it simple, patient care experience is direct, hands-on experience, including medical assisting, EMT, nurse assistant, surgical assistant, nurse, ER tech, etc. I personally was a medical assistant, oral surgery, dental assistant, and a nurse assistant. The recommended competitive amount of hours is about 2,000 hours, which if you do the math, it kind of equals out to one year full-time. But I had around 1,000 hours at the time of my application. Really not that competitive in terms of quantity, but I think the quality of my positions kind of stood out. I really do think that this bedside experience plays such a huge role when it comes to clinical rotations and being comfortable already having had those interactions with patients. If you want to know about healthcare experience, that's a little different, right? You're not hands-on, so it's scribing, which sometimes can be patient care experience if you kind of describe it as, as, you know, describe it well enough but more we're talking about like receptionist billing um front desk i guess that's receptionist but i don't know what other things are healthcare experience in your opinion chris he's shaking his head i think i think (laughs) you nailed it i think i nailed it with receptionist (laughs) and billing there's so many other things and i'm just blanking right now but you guys you know basically it's just anything that's not hands-on sure
1: there's probably like lab tech or yeah yeah well no because like
0: lab tech you can i guess if you're no phlebotomy like if you're
1: yeah, but if you're in like the pathology lab or something sure, like that, sure, sure, yeah. specimens and things like that. that can potentially, <laughs> potentially be some sort of healthcare experience, however yes. you're not directly involved in yeah. that care.
0: Yeah, you're right. You're right. That's that's a really great example. Sorry, what did you say? I said you're right. Oh! <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about shadowing. Shadowing a PA is required for PA school. Schools want to know you know what the role is and that you would really admire it. I know it's really hard to shadow right now in this Patricia, uh, Patricia otherwise known as the Panny, aka the pandemic, but it's absolutely necessary to see the scope. And it's also really beneficial if you can like shadow an, a doctor, a nurse practitioner, a PA, since all those roles are very different. Well, PAs and NPs are a lot alike in the clinical setting, but their education is so different. And so um you know just shadowing any of those roles could be really helpful when you're trying to make your decision okay let's talk about volunteering i wonder i do think this is part of the medical school application just kind of to include i know for pa school i don't necessarily know if it's required or it's school specific but i will tell you volunteering always looks good while any volunteer experience can add to your application the most impressive ones are going to be consistent commitments whether or not they're in medicine or something like a medical mission trip or like the Medical Peace Corps. Obviously, those are super impressive. But what I'm saying is if you have someone who's volunteered at a 5K race one time versus an applicant that has consistently volunteered bi-weekly at the soup kitchen or a baby holding unit for like two years, the latter applicant is, a, is stronger when it comes to their volunteer experience, which can really help your application look more holistic, especially if you're missing in other areas, right? Quality and quantity matter, but I wouldn't say this category is a make or break by any means. Let's talk about research. This is really, really not that necessary for PA school. Include it if you have it. For you, Chris, like, what do you do? You, is that like a big part of the medical school application?
1: I mean, I, I think it's another one of those boxes that you can check. Yeah. Um, I think you know, for applying to medical school, it's not necessarily like, you know a requ- requirement or anything like that. Um, and you know, if you, if you have a ton of research um, in undergrad, or you end up being you know working in a lab for you know a couple of years before applying to medical school, I don't think it's going to hurt your application by any means. But I think it's one of those things where you know, if you do at least a little bit of it, you know, it's just a, kind of another box that you check um, of different things that they're looking uh, f- from you.
0: Yeah, I think that's kind of the same thing with PA school. So I also want to talk about military experience. I bring it up because if you don't already know, the PA profession was founded when medics in the Army were coming back from the war in the 1960s, having had all this field training but no medical education. The PA career blossomed at Duke University by basically filling in that missing education for these awesome vets. Now, you don't always have to be in the military to be a PA, duh, like I'm not in the military. But from my experience with applications, they will usually ask if you have a military experience. And I personally think that there's some preference to the military personnel. Like, don't quote me, but I, I do think that they that's something that they really admire since it is so unique to the PA profession, right? And its origins. There's also tw- ways to practice as a PA and a nurse practitioner in the military. I actually work with one PA and one NP both in the military right now in Kansas City. So it's pretty cool. Okay, Chris. So I actually have a few questions. And wait, before I get into that, is there anything about the military when you were applying to school? I'm sure there's a box that, like, hey, were you a veteran? Were you, right?
1: I, I don't, To be honest, I don't remember completely. <laughs> you blocked it out. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think it's it's one of those things where, you know, serving in the military is certainly um, a, a high honor, and I think it's one of those things where, you know, there's a lot of good characteristics uh, mm-hmm. that generally individuals have. Um, and, like, the training that you receive mm-hmm. from being in the military, I think, you know, those are generally uh, well-perceived uh attributes and stuff like that mm-hmm. um i don't know that there's necessarily like a specific box per se um that you know you would check or anything like that but right. like being in the military i just think you know generally individuals that are entering into the military um are generally held in high regard
0: yes also just want to take a moment since we're talking about the military thank you our troops love you guys uh but so i actually have a few questions for you chris like i said Okay, so we kind of covered a lot of things with other prereqs besides, you know, the course completion, right? If you could pick any one of these other things, what would you include in the medical school application? Like, what would you include as another prerequisite for medical school? Because none of these are actually requirements for medical school.
1: So I guess, you know, in medical school applications, there's no specific, you know, you have to hit an X amount of hours to be able to apply to... You know, medical school or you know things like that. I think like patient a, care hours. Patient, you mean? Yeah, there's yeah. no there's no specific patient care hour requirements or anything like that for medical school applications. That at least that I'm aware of. Um, maybe it's or you
0: didn't do maybe, them.
1: <laughs> no, maybe it's something new that they have now, but I I doubt it. Um, but I, I think there's a lot of these things are kind of more indirectly um, assessed or you know expected rather than kind of you know, cut and dry of giving exact hours. Cause I think, you know, you'd be hard pressed, uh, to find somebody that hasn't had at least some sort of experience in the medical field before applying to medical school. Cause I think one of the big questions you'll be asked is, you know, without any experience at all, um, why do you know, or like, how do you know that medicine is right for you? And like, why, you know, why do you want to go into medical school and stuff like that? If you've never had any exposure to any of that, um, kind of stuff before. So even though there's not like any, you know, specific hour requirements or anything like that, I think you would find that the majority of people that are applying into medical school have had some exposure to the medical field, um, kind of regardless of what those, you know, hours were.
0: Right, right. It's kind of more rare to find someone that's like, I know I want to go into medicine and I've never been in an interaction with a patient or someone sick or anything like that, right? Um I, I remember when I was on rotations actually specifically on my OBGYN rotation and we had I was rotating with two medical students and they were so nice and so awesome to work with. But they had said they had wished that this had been something that they that their medical schools had required before they applied, that they had some sort of patient care experience hours um, because they felt like it was kind of a shock becoming clinical students and not ever having a bedside experience. So I thought that was like an interesting take, but you're totally right. Most medical students I know or have known in my past have had some sort of past experience with bedside of some sort or in a yeah. clinic or you know.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. For me, for medical school, I think, you know, we get so much of that in our training, kind of, over the, the fact that we have four years mm-hmm. of, kind of, uh, you know, med school training. I think I see it from a PA perspective, and the fact that you guys generally do, you know, two years of training, so everything's kind of condensed down. So, I think having, you know, a prerequisite requirement of needing those hours um, to kind of set you guys a little bit further ahead, maybe, at the beginning of your training um, is likely necessary versus med school. you know you're gonna, they're gonna kind of teach you from ground one mm-hmm. how exactly they want you to approach seeing patients, how exactly they want you, you know to to interact with patients and stuff like that. So at least for me personally, I don't I don't know that it's necessarily important to make it a requirement. you know, I think if, if some people want want you know more experience and they find it helpful, then I think that's great. but I think trying to make it kind of a, a blanket requirement for everybody to get uh, hours ahead of time. I don't know if I I agree with something like that.
0: Yeah, I think we can both agree, though, that it can only help you, right? Having more patient experience can only help you, not even just in terms of the application, but just when you come out clinically, when you come out practicing, the more experience you have with different, diverse sets of patients, the better clinician you're going to be, and I think that's just the truth. All right? All right, I love it. I'm giving you like an air high five right now because I like that conversation. That was good. Okay, so let's talk about the specialized exams for PAs. This is the GRE, or now the PA CAT, which I never took. The GRE was the OG standardized exam, and I took it, and so did, well, I would say most of my peers, but I actually can't say that for sure, because the school I went to actually did not require the GRE, which was amazing. I think there were like eight schools in the country at the time that like did not require the GRE and I was so grateful because I'm a horrible standardized test taker however I did absolutely fine in the GRE and definitely would have been totally fine applying to schools that accepted the GRE but there's likely going to be a push to kind of move this GRE prerequisite um, or this GRE requirement into the PA cat over the years now the PA cat is basically the MCAT for PA school right I it's it's very different, but in the simplest terms, it is the specific exam only for PA school entrance, while the GRE is a generalized exam for all graduate programs across the board. You know, speech-language pathology, any sort of graduate school, right? English. and Chemistry. Chemistry, and you, and then PA school. So you can, like, you know, you can be a professor, you can take care of patients, you can work on Chinese. I don't know. You could do so much with a GRE in graduate school, but I think it's really helpful if you have something more specific to... PA, because it is, you know, you're dealing with patients at the end of it. So, um, yeah, it's still in its trial phase. So, I think most programs are accepting either. And I'm sure, if not all programs right now, um, I'm sure all programs are going to end up requiring one of the two. And both of these exams are around four to five hours. So, that's kind of our PA school standardized exams. Tell us, Chris, about the MCAT, which I kind of alluded to.
1: So the MCAT is the kind of the medical school version of, you know, their, their kind of specific entrance exam. Um, several years ago, uh, they had a revamp of the, of the MCAT where they added a new section and made kind of some of the uh, sections a little bit longer. Luckily, I was able to take the, kind of the shortened version.
0: You got so of lucky. The, of, the,
1: uh, of the MCAT. Uh, mine was only, I think, like four and a half hours long or so. Now it's around seven hours long. Um, it has uh, multiple sections composed of biological and biochemical uh, foundations and living symptom. <laughs> symptoms. <laughs>
0: systems, I'm sorry. You
1: wrote symptoms in there. I
0: wrote these down for Chris because he hasn't touched the MCAT and like...
1: Forever. So many
0: years. I'm like, I'm gonna write them down for you so you can read them off. And I wrote symptoms.
1: sabotage.
0: Sorry, Sabotage. systems. And
1: then the Chem- next... chemical and physical foundations of biological systems.
0: You <laughs> wrote that one right. Psychological,
1: social, and biological foundations and of behavior, critical analysis and reasoning skills. The psychological one and kind of like the uh, foundations of behavior was like then a, a new the new section that they added on uh, to the MCAT uh, from before. Um, so to be honest, I don't, I don't know a whole lot about that. I think it's kind of mainly focused on, uh, psychology and, uh, you know, I guess kind of how people think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess. Sounds like psychology to me. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>?
0: <laughs> and then the score, like it the, ranges now, it's yeah, a different it's, scoring it's, system. It's a
1: weird, kind of a weird scoring system. So the score ranges, I guess, from 478 to 528. Back when I took it, it was just a kind of straight up score. Each of the sections, there was three different sections, uh, from, uh, 1 to 15 for each section, so for a total score of 3 to 45 with verbal reasoning, biological sciences, and physical sciences. Um, but I, I think overall, you know, now that the test is seven hours, sure, it's a long test, but, um, you know, once you realize, kind of, you know, if you get into medical school, you're going to be taking an extremely long test for uh, step 1, 2, and 3. Um, you know, it, it it seems like a long test and it, it can be grueling, but at the same time, you know, as you get further and further on in your training, you're just going to have to get used to kind of testing uh, to that length.
0: Yeah. Would you rather go through the MCAT again or through med school again? I guess the MCAT is much shorter than med school, but like... <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, I'm going to go... Uh, probably, probably the...
0: <laughs> okay, looking back, would you have rather taken... The MCAT that's seven hours with four sections, including the brain stuff and how the brain works, psychology, or the MCAT that you had taken.
1: Oh, definitely the MCAT I took.
0: Yeah. And what would you tell students who are afraid of failing the MCAT or not doing well in a certain section or just like feeling really discouraged by their score? Because I I know you do so many practice exams. that We all do, right, when we're studying for these standardized exams. And sometimes the final product is like way lower than your practice exams. So, like, what would you tell students?
1: You know, I, I think the biggest thing is you you need to focus on your weaknesses uh, when studying for the test, and really, really practice those sections that that you struggle more with. Um, instead of you know continuing, it's easy to study your strengths. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, and I I kind of fell into this some too when I was uh, prepping for the MCAT. I was extremely strong in both biological and physical sciences, but I struggled hardcore uh, with a verbal reasoning section. And for me, it was so much easier for me to just, you know, continue crushing it on the biological and physical sciences. So that's kind of ma- my first round through. That's kind of mainly what I focused on was, you know, doing well in the physical and biological sciences. And I struggled with the verbal reasoning, so I was like, well, I'm just going to kind of put this off and I'll, I'll take my uh, lickings when, I, when it comes to the test. Unfortunately, after the, the first test, uh, the verbal reasoning was a little low uh, for where I needed to be. So that, But then I, I realized, you know, that's that's my weakness. That's what I need to focus on. You know, I'm already strong in the other areas. Stop worrying about studying for biological and physical sciences. You know, do do some work in that area. But my main focus needs to be focusing on uh, really trying to improve my verbal reasoning score. And ultimately, that's what I, what I ended up doing in order to, uh, you know, kind of get the score where, to where I needed it to be.
0: Yeah. Chris has some endurance. I I don't know if I could do that exam multiple times or even once probably, but kudos to you, babe. Kudos to you. Good job. I'm glad it got you to where you are today, right? Um, I will say this is so interesting that you say, yes, you need to focus on your weaknesses because I think that this is going to be a common theme every time we talk about exams, every time we talk about standardized exams, the pants, right, any sort of step exam when you're studying, you got to focus on those weaknesses because it's a really comfortable area to stay in the place that you're good at, right? And that's kind of just a kind of concept about life. But what I also will say is I when I went to uh, tour Pepperdine, if anyone knows Pepperdine, it's like a college in Malibu. I really wanted to go there so bad, but there was someone there, some guy kind of talking to us uh, students who were interested in the, the university. He was saying, I would take the SAT three times if I could. And each time I would focus on a different section. and. Um, because, you know, it was a combined score at that time. I know, I don't think the MCAT is like that, but just I, a little. I would th- not
1: take that approach. Uh, <laughs> i I would not I'm take just, that approach for the MCAT. I am
0: just saying that is one way to do it, but you cannot actually combine your score with the MCAT, right? That was my, that's my, because think- the SAT, you could take your best score from each section. And that was then. This was like 10 years ago, so I actually can't.
1: Yeah, you know, say anything I'm, about it I'm now. pretty sure they'll look at kind of <laughs> the, whole the thing. score the, from your, each test that you take. Mm-hmm. So I, I would not uh, go with that advice and try, not to advised. Do, try to do well in one section and bomb the other ones. <laughs> not advised. Not a, not a good idea.
0: <laughs> All right, moving on. Please, yeah, don't take that approach. I just want to let you know that that made me think of that experience and that I really am still so sad that I never went to Pepperdine, but I never would have met Chris, so There's that, we're gonna move on to the next section though. Speaking of prerequisites for PA school, I wanted to fill you guys in on a resource I wish I had before applying to PA school, which is my PA box. You guys have probably heard me talk about this resource on Instagram and I cannot say enough good things about them. I thought this would be the perfect opportunity to bring them up since we're talking about prereqs. My PA box was created by two PAs for thousands of PAs to be. It's a comprehensive PA program requirement tracking and organization tool. Basically a platform where you can enter in all your information, like your grades, pre standardized testing scores, patient care hours, etc. Kind of like the CASPA, but before you even get to the CASPA, which is like a whole other monster in itself, this tool is so great for students months to a couple years out before applying to figure out which programs fit your stats, work with your financial budget, and so on. And by using this before CASPA opening day, you're so ahead of the game when it comes to tracking your information and being ready to apply with confidence as soon as that day comes, which is like so dang exciting. Anyways, you guys, you know I love this resource. They've literally compiled all the endless research we've all done when we applied to PA school all in one place at a really affordable price. If you guys want to check them out, you can find them at mypabox.com, mypabox on Instagram, and you can always save money with my code CAT15. You can always message me or them with any questions. They're super responsive. Definitely check them out if you're still figuring out where to apply. Okay, guys, let's move on to the education component of PAs and MDs. So, you've gotten into PA school, you've gotten into med school, and we're going to tell you a little bit how that looks. For PAs, you're looking at about two to three years of graduate school in which you obtain a master's degree in physician assistant studies or kind of whatever else your program wants to call it. There are some doctorate degrees, but honestly, this is the prime difference between PAs and MDs. It's a master's almost always. And if you're getting a doctorate, you're not getting a doctorate in medicine, right? That's medical doctor that's what Chris is gonna talk about that's like he is you're kind of getting a doctorate in what like PA studies and I to be honest I need to look more into this but I know you can get like a doctorate in education like anyone can right so really the main thing is you're getting a master's now there are some bachelor programs and I think they're kind of being phased out or they're they're being grandfathered in but going forward you're always gonna require a master's degree for to become a PA and PA school is comprised of a lot of the same courses that don't go into like as much depth as medical school, and like we usually don't study embryology or histology, which is part of the medical school curriculum. But to break it down simply, most PA programs have one year of didactic, which is classroom education. while medical schools have how many, Chris?
1: Two years. Yeah,
0: MP. PA- or what?
1: There. So our school we kind of condensed the first two years into a year and a half, oh, and that's actually, right. yeah, yeah, Duke actually combines the first two years of kind of clinical or sorry not clinical stuff uh like classwork stuff into the first year and then you do a research year, your third year. yes
0: you do do a research year my old roommate in new york city her brother went to yeah. duke from medical, school and they had like five years or something like that no they have four years four years but one year is a research yes 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 okay and your school but, was like a year and a half of didactic essentially yes with some but research.
1: most most places you'll find have two years of didactics
0: Okay. Yes. Most places, right? Same with PA school. A lot of times you can do like the one to two years of didactic and the last year being clinical or some sort of thing like that if your program's three years long. But most of the time you're looking at a one year of didactic for PA school, two years of didactic for med school. And then you have your clinical rotations, which is the other half of your education, right? Um, Where you kind of apply all the knowledge you just learned. For PA school, it's about a year. Again, that's going to vary depending which program you're in. In medical school, you have how many years?
1: So in medical school, you do two kind of two years of uh, clinical rotations. Your third year is usually your standard clerkships, which are kind of your main different specialties um, within medicine, and then your fourth year, uh, you usually you'll have... Um, some kind of base requirements, depending on the school, and then that's kind of your time to do some more elective rotations and kind of try to further uh, sub-specialize into the specific specialty that you might want to be go- uh, apply into for residency.
0: Right, and that's the time you also apply to residency, so you're going on interviews, and some people do like away rotations, like you said, um, or auditions. They're called so many different things, right? Acting internships—I don't yeah. even know what they're called, but
1: AI, AI,
0: so it's all the things. Lots of money spent that year, right? Um, but yeah, Chris did. You did like five orthopedic surgery rotations, I think, right? Yeah, Something so I did, like I did one in
1: my home program and then four four away rotations because mm-hmm. our school finishes uh, our third year in March, uh, compared to most schools finish mm-hmm. third year in probably May to June. So I had a few more months of uh, opportunity to do away rotations. Right, right,
0: and I think in both programs, I mean, I I think I know this in both programs, both kind of education. Whatever. That was my foot. That was Chris's foot. Um, but in in both. Katrina. Stop! That was your foot. Don't tell the listeners that. Um, in both fields of study, when you're in school you are going to get the chance to do elective rotation. So Chris is saying that most of his were in his last year, probably did some sub ones in his third year. For PA school, you're usually going to get like one or two electives. Or you don't get any in your third year? No
1: electives third year. No
0: electives third year, people.
1: Third year is all straight up clerkships. Straight up clerkships. Maybe there's some programs, but pretty much third year is you do the rotations that are assigned to you by the school, and everybody does the same rotation.
0: Absolutely. And you have end-of-rotation exams, right? Correct. Correct. So we we also did as well. So in PA school, you're going to get one or two electives, most likely, depending on your program. But something I really admire about both PA and medical school the curriculum is that it's very standardized right a lot of times our clinical sites are set up for us and all programs usually require the same competencies and course completions upon graduation including like certain skills like I don't know for you Chris if you had to complete like certain number of blood draws or injections or anything like that and I know for my PA school we had to Chris is like I don't know if I've ever done a blood draw before I,
1: th- I think we do have <laughs> yeah we, we definitely have Kind of like core competencies. Yeah. Um, I think those are typically maybe school dependent versus there are certain yeah. ones that are kind of like, uh, I don't know, ACGME. Is that kind of the government body for medical school? Can't I can't remember I, I think it is, yeah. Um, but you're right,
0: you're right. Like most of them are going to be school specific, but there are some sort of core competencies that you need in tor- in order to graduate from yeah. these graduate programs. So school specific, they'll go over that in the handbook, but just some some insight. So Yeah, Um, and I will say a lot of our rotations are very similar in that clinical year, that main clinical year. So again, like I had mentioned before, I had rotated with medical students, so it was really great to work with them and kind of hear about their experience. Okay, something a little bit different about PAs and doctors is that PAs are ready to to practice once they graduate PA school. While graduating doctors will enter residency and continue learning and training in their specific field of study – for example, Chris right now is in his second year of residency and he is doing orthopedic surgery. So he has five years total of his residency alone and then likely will choose to do a fellowship for a year. Are they ever two years? There's one program that's two years, right?
1: Or multiple. Uh, there, There's very few potential um, fellowships out there where you can do a like one year of research as part of the fellowship with kind of one mm-hmm. clinical year. Um, so now like HSS for sports has... Uh, at least one of those uh, options, but I, it's it's pretty uh, standard for a fellowship just to be a single year, um, and then typically people uh, do just one fellowship.
0: Right, and like nurse practitioners and medical doctors and osteopathic doctors, they, they only just specialize in one area of medicine. And for nurse practitioners, there's a little bit more leeway with that. But for like doctors, they have to decide, right, that's the whole reason to applying to residency is what field of study, what field of medicine do they want to practice in. For PAs, it's a little different, right? We, we can do residencies. We can do fellowships. They usually only last about a year or two if you're going to do them. And they're usually lower paying. But we can practice in any field that we want to. So I can literally do my urgent care role that I'm doing and then practice in orthopedic surgery if I wanted, OBGYN, urology, like literally could do anything, Um, which I really just admire that lateral mobility about the career, which just makes it so different from all the other careers. Um, And I am a super indecisive person, as Chris would probably agree to. (laughs) He's laughing over here. And so he probably thinks it's a good idea that I went into PA school so I can always switch it up with my career. Do you concur?
1: I agree. (laughs) I mean it's it's rare but it's not unheard of for somebody in medicine to start a career in one uh, specialty and then essentially they return to residency for a different specialty. Mm -hmm. So anesthesiology is actually a pretty common like if someone was to do a second uh, kind of career specialty in medicine um, as a doctor the only downside is that you have to repeat residency or like do a completely new residency which is an additional three four five years of training mm-hmm. um after already doing all of the training that you've done
0: right right i know there are some people i follow on social media who had like switched uh, natalie crawford md she's a fertility doc she had started a residency in emergency medicine and decided she wanted to switch to OBGYN, Um and she did that after a year so I couldn't imagine going through all of residency some sort of practice and then changing it up but people do it right um I also I for, totally had forgotten to say this and this is a huge part of PAs practicing when they're done graduate school it's the fact that they have a collaborating relationship with a supervising physician PAs are not practicing independently they Unlike nurse practitioners, doctors, right, they can all practice independently, especially if, like for nurse practitioners, it's state specific. But PAs, we do not practice independently. We collaborate with our supervisings, which is something I admire about that career. Like I, I will say I have a lot of autonomy in my role, but I definitely value that relationship I have when I need support and um, just feeling like a little bit more part of a team from where I'm standing in my career at this time okay we went through so much detail here so let's talk about some final thoughts okay Chris if you could do it again would you still go to medical school medical school and would you still be an orthopedist
1: I think the the orthopedics part I think is uh, pretty easy for me to answer I think I would definitely um... you're
0: like how can I be an orthopedist without having ever gone to medical <laughs> school
1: <laughs> yeah I mean it's one of those things where it's like for for orthopedics, the amount of experience and exposure we get for orthopedics is so minimal in medical school. It's like, you know, I did all this training um, essentially to never, for the most part, utilize this uh, information again, Um, which is, you know, it's part of the process and I I get that and, you know, I I did what I had to do in order to get to kind of the position I'm in now. Um, So I I think doing, becoming an orthopedic surgeon, uh, I would certainly do that all over again. Medical school, uh, you know, I'd I'd say I probably uh, would. You know, it's definitely a lot of uh, dedication, a lot of, uh, you know, hardworking years. Um, But I think in the end, it's all going to be worth it. Um,
0: Do you feel like it flew by? Because I feel like everyone in PA school is always like, this is going to fly by. The days are long. The weeks are long. But the months fly by and the years fly by.
1: The days are long. The years are short. That is Essentially, correct. you know, yeah. it seems like, you know, every single day, you know, get home and, you know, it, it may or may not be dinner and bedtime. Uh, but overall, I mean, it all it all goes by really quickly and, you know, people get through it. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, uh, you know, when you're practicing, if you're doing if you're doing what you enjoy, then, you know, it makes it all worth it. And kind of seeing the the reactions of, of patients' faces um, when you're able to uh, provide them with a, you know, a specific treatment and, you know, improve their quality of life or improve, you know, this, uh, the situation that they're in makes it all worth it.
0: Yeah, definitely. I feel like when it finally clicks that you're like, oh my God, I know what the hell I'm doing. And you kind of, In my experience, I feel like I've played an integral role in like saving someone's life or catching something really super dangerous. And it has made me feel so grateful for all the work I had put in during PA school, during my orientation process, during my clinical training, and um, kind of right when I came out of school. So yeah, really cool part of the job that doesn't happen every single day, but certainly puts everything into perspective when those moments do happen. Okay, Chris, I have another question for you. I can't remember what it is, so let me think about it. Um, I have to look at my question. You
1: can you can read the sheet. <laughs> I, can, can read- I can read it for you if you want.
0: <laughs> well, I'm going to ask myself the question, would I go to PA school again if I could? Um, yeah, and I might get some hate for this, but I actually did not think PA school was that bad. It is, you had mentioned before, it is like drinking water from a fire hydrant is that that's kind of what they call it and it feels like that but that's like what I live for I'm like I thrive on busy Chris is like I don't know why you started a podcast because you already do so much and I'm like because I thrive on just like running from one thing to the next and that's how I felt with PA school so I freaking loved it looking back uh New York City was pretty cool even though I didn't get a chance to like really explore that much but um yeah everyone was awesome so it was a good experience Okay, Chris. Here is my here is my question, and and we are going to talk about this at another on another day. But I've never asked you this. What are your thoughts about the potential name change from physician assistant to physician associate?
1: To be honest, I don't I don't have much thoughts. You know, I I <laughs> <laughs> you know whatever whatever kind of makes makes them happy at the end of the day. You know, if there's confusion with the name physician assistant. Uh, you know, I'm I'm happy for them. I, I you're happy if there's confusion. No, 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 not happy <laughs> about the confusion, but happy about you know if, to change it to maybe potentially you know alleviate any sort of confusion about like physician assistant um, kind of mm-hmm. verbiage and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I I don't care. <laughs> you know, kind of quite Straight- quite quite frankly, you know, it it the name itself doesn't really have kind of much bearing on you know my kind of relationship and yeah uh, all that kind of stuff with PAs
0: well you heard it straight from Chris straight from the nard man huh and honestly like I I'm just gonna call myself a PA regardless really exactly so I, it's... I, I refer
1: I refer to it as a as a PA whatever you want to you know consider just that...
0: remember he refers to it <laughs> as a PA. Chris is great on the words you can really whenever, tell
1: whatever you want to you know Determine the acronym, mm-hmm. you know, behind yeah. it to be, you know, whatever. But yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna get all up in arms about the name change from assistant to associate, like whatever.
0: <laughs> whatever. It's gonna, it's gonna be great no matter what. And our whole goal, no matter what role we play, just needs to be continuously providing the best patient care, right? Um. So, and I will say one more thing. I wish there was a little bit more uh attention going into like the licensing process and making that a little bit easier for students and people m- moving states and things like that and just having that be a little bit more standardized but that's a conversation like i said for another day okay chris so you work in a surgical setting i work in an outpatient setting i work in an urgent care where i have a lot of auto- autonomy as a pa i sometimes work with a physician sometimes i don't sometimes i gotta call them sometimes i gotta go across to the primary care side whatever it is right Tell me, in your words, and obviously your perspective, and we're not speaking specifically to a PA on your floor right now, but tell me what the PAs or nurse practitioners, I'm assuming they probably do the same thing in your unit, what type of role do they have in orthopedics? Do they do surgeries where you're at? Do they do a lot of the floor work? Do you work with them often? Do you, like, never see them? Are there even any PAs?
1: So I think some of it kind of varies slightly on whether it's, you know, kind of a, a specific PA that works with one surgeon versus working with kind of for the the service itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think they they serve kind of both roles. You know, they certainly uh, play a major part in helping out with uh, taking care of some of the floor work and kind of through the day-to-day um, aspect of things when, you know, patients have questions about things or if other service has questions about um, specific patients on the floor, you know, they, they're they a huge help and a huge asset um, for kind of helping out with those things while we're, uh, you know, training in the OR and stuff like that. But at the same time, they usually, though, um, the PAs and MPs that we work with also have at least one day um, where they're also uh, helping out in the OR. So they're not kind of exclusively um, doing floor stuff.
0: That's good. That's good. That's like a good, balance. Know, a good balance
1: of, you know, Right. And I think one of the things that's most helpful uh, from our standpoint, you know, we're, we're kind of rotating through different surgeons, you know, constantly, you know, our rotations are three months long um, at the at the most at one time. And, you know, oftentimes we're working with multiple different surgeons, even, you know, within those three months. And I think having uh, kind of a specific PA or NP that knows the attendings and kind of their preferences and all that kind of stuff. Really well that they've worked with them for the last you know four or five years. They they're they're a huge uh, resource in terms of kind of knowing what what our attendings would want for c- certain situations, and you know we we certainly rely on them quite a bit uh, for those types of things.
0: So you'd probably say you have a good working relationship with PAs at home and PAs. Well, I didn't say PAs at home. With the PAs and your career and a PA at home, huh?
1: I would like to think so. <laughs> I
0: would like to think so too.
1: I and I feel like I I, it helps me, I think, a little bit, uh, you know, at work, um, to drop, you know, hey, my my wife's a PA, and I think it gives me a little bit of street cred with them.
0: <laughs> street cred, <I> like <laughs> you know, just said that,
1: of like, you know, I respect your role, you know, I appreciate your role and stuff like that, um, because I think, you know, occasionally there's times I don't think necessarily specifically where, you know, where we work, but you know, I think there can definitely be, you know, situations where, um, you know, PA, you know, either feels undervalued or, you know, maybe doesn't feel as respected um, and, you know, kind of potentially vice versa. But, you know, I think uh, being able to kind of, you know, see what you do and, um, you know, talk to you about what you do kind of on a regular basis um, gives me kind of a a good perspective um, that I'm able to translate kind of for my own work life.
0: Yeah, just surrounded by PAs. I love it. Um, One thing I was going to ask you, too, more personal, uh, what do you think about all these messages I've been getting about how I'm making fun of orthopedists for not using stethoscopes regularly or how I'm out of my lane for using a stethoscope what are your thoughts oh
1: my (laughs) what a bunch of crap it's i don't know i i don't
0: where is your stethoscope actually that should be a more legit question i think
1: i I think i actually saw it downstairs in the uh storage the the junk room (laughs) the junk Um,
0: (laughs) room so you do not take it to work do when is the last time you've used a stethoscope am i going to get you in trouble by asking this question
1: oh not at all no we don't we don't we don't carry so that's a you know, thing that we don't we don't touch a stethoscope. Um, last time <laughs> last time I had one was probably having to take a call for general surgery uh, on my like gen surgery a year ago, uh, a while ago, probably like <laughs> six months ago or so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I used it, but uh, carried it around for me at okay. least that day.
0: Yeah. Well. Well, that that settles that, I think, folks. So anyone who wants to say that. The orthopedist knows how to use a stethoscope. I'm sure he does. Well, I,
1: I, I feel like I definitely know how to yes. use a stethoscope and I, I would, you know, be able to utilize one. <laughs> However, luckily my position allows me to not have to <laughs> uh, carry a stethoscope and, you know.
0: Can you tell, can you tell the people what your OR joke is about orthopods and EKGs?
1: What's the definition of a double-blinded study?
0: <laughs> oh, I already answered it. Two orthopods looking at an EKG. Two orthopods looking
1: at an EKG. <laughs> That's so good. I think, I think that was actually told me by one of my attendings uh, in med school. Um, <laughs> that is an orthopod. He's the one that initially told me that joke, and I thought it was pretty hilarious. Because mm-hmm. I, th- I, you know, I think in general, like, orthopedic surgeons uh, recognize, you know, their strengths and weaknesses. And although maybe we were strong in medical school, you know, when when you don't utilize a lot of those skills over and over again you know they kind of start to fall to the wayside
0: yeah okay guys that wraps up our episode today we definitely geared this more towards the pre-medical and pre-pa track so i hope that this was helpful for our friends still navigating the next steps in their medical dreams right we weren't able to dive too far into nps ndos but I would love to have the opportunity to speak with you guys in the future about their education and kind of like how they got to their role today. Thank you so much for allowing Chris to scrub out and join our conversation today. I love that kind of like went with our, our theme scrubbed out, right? Our title Chris scrubbed out. woo Woo. All right. I'm getting to loopy weird cat here. We hope you learned something here. And if you have any feedback, send it our way. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. If you want to hear more about these subjects, or if you just want to hear more from Chris, because I know I do—he's a funny guy, guys. but from the other side of the, from the other side of the podcast,
1: one and done.
0: <laughs> let us know in a review. We would appreciate it so dang much. Until next time, you guys have a great, safe day.